Hey everyone, this is George Soto and you're watching Startups Unedited. Hey everyone, this is George Soto. Hope all is well. Today I am with Christian Hernandez, who is a partner at White Star Capital in London. Christian, you have an incredible uh, background and resume, you know, from spending a, a, a ton of time at Facebook, doing everything from UK and, and pan-European efforts or, or managing those efforts with brands to platform partnerships, the head of new markets at Google. Christian, how are you? Good. Thanks for reaching out. Good to be online with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. Actually, I, I was trying to remember exactly when we connected, and I think it was uh, a couple years ago when you were still at Facebook, and I was actually a, going through a mentorship program with Gopal Rajaram. So he was a, a mentor at, uh, at AngelPad with you know, Thomas Corte and Deep yep. those guys. My, my old Google Mafia. Yeah, I worked with Deep back in the mobile days. Deep is a, Deep's a great guy. He was one of these guys who just always told us, with uh, provided feedback, told us what, what he had on his mind, and, and there was zero fluff. <laughs> I guess it's officially on the record, but I've also always called him my Yoda. He gives you a pretty good, insightful advice. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I, I should have probably listened to him a little more uh, back then. I would have saved myself some headache. But, uh, but Chris, why don't you provide some background, if you don't mind, to, to the audience a, a, a little more around your, your professional background, what you're up to now with, uh, with the fund, and, and, um, and, and, and then also what, what your, uh, your take is on the startup ecosystem in Europe, which is absolutely exploding. Yeah, sure. Um, so my, my own personal story and the short version, I've, I've always been inside tech companies from, you know, uh, data analytics company in the 90s um, called MicroStrategy, which was a bit infamous for being one of the first companies to have um, a market correction, if you want to call it that, um, but an amazing experience, stayed in tech, worked at Microsoft launching the first generation smartphones in 2002, 2003, and then joined Google in 06 to uh, incubate our mobile efforts, which Deep was actually leading, um, trying to get at that point, Google Maps and Google Search integrated into phones. And if you think about today, how could we actually live without Google Maps on a day-to-day -day basis? But then it was really trying to get Java versions of that into Motorola flip phones and LG and Samsungs. Um, and then very philosophical fights with the likes of BlackBerry and Nokia about what web we as consumers would want on the phone, whether it was the open web that Google wanted or this condensed web that uh, BlackBerry and Nokia were, were advocating for. And then uh, left Google uh, in 09 after helping set up our presence in Eastern Europe to join Facebook in London to expand our efforts in the region and primarily to work with developers and, and startups trying to leverage uh, Facebook as a growth platform. And I guess the point of pride there is that, you know, at that point in 09, there was a bit of cynicism as to whether we really needed a team in Europe to help the local ecosystem. And now fast forward, Spotify and Deezer are two of the largest music partners um, King and, and Supercell are two of the largest gaming partners. The Guardian, the BBC are two of the largest media partners. So yes, you can build world-class companies from, from Europe. Um, and I left uh, Facebook two years ago to go take my angel investment efforts uh, under this brand called White Star Capital and launch a, uh, a, um, an early stage fund. Um, and my belief there was you can be a great entrepreneur across multiple geographies, but yet there's not enough supply of capital 
especially capital with operational experience to support the entrepreneurs. So we're based between London and New York. My co-founder is actually based in New York. We mainly invest up and down the East Coast from Toronto down to Philly. And then from London, the usual European hubs of London, Berlin, Stockholm, but others around the periphery. Uh, and you're seeing some amazing companies being built in those regions, and yet a fraction of the number of VCs or active VCs, as you might see in the West Coast. Uh, so we're a team of six, three in London, three in New York. Are there any particular nuances to the startup ecosystem or maybe the way that investors interface with startups that are specific to you know, London or Europe versus, yeah. say, the United States? Yeah, I think the first, the first issue with Europe is that it's not Europe, right? It's actually London and Berlin and Stockholm and Paris and Helsinki, and each one has its own version of, its, of a tech hub at different maturity levels. I mean, in, in, uh, in, in the U.S., yes, there's a large concentration around San Francisco and the Valley, L.A. coming up as a new up-and-coming hub, New York and Boston as better-defined hubs, and then smaller ones like Austin, the Research Triangle Park in North Carolina. But here, that's the case. I mean, apart really, uh, the, the momentum behind London and Berlin, those are definitely like the tier one hubs. And there's a bunch of momentum, but still early stages for others. So that, for investors specifically, means you're on a plane a lot more. Um, so you're actually going and hunting in different markets. Um, two, you're actually managing companies remotely a lot more. And three, as these companies are scaling, can you build, my test always is, can you build a 100-person Google-level engineering team in Lisbon? Probably not. In London, probably. In Stockholm, maybe. In Berlin, maybe. But at some point, the amount of cap, human capital you can go after starts getting reduced. Um, but it's, I mean, it's definitely been a big change, even the last five years, about just the momentum of talent, of um, companies being created, and of, of new sources of funding to back them. You know, I think a lot about what are the characteristics of a healthy startup ecosystem and education, capital, and of course, funding. What's your take on sort of the, the regulations and tariffs and, and processes from a let's say, uh, a legal perspective in Europe. Uh, for, to give you a little more uh, color there, I was in Spain a couple months ago doing some stuff at the Google for Entrepreneurship Programs campus, Campus Madrid, and I was chatting with a couple Spanish entrepreneurs, and they said, you know, we'd love to take, take you know, more risk. However, if uh, apparently, I don't, know, I don't know that this is absolutely accurate, but what they were mentioning to me was that you still had to pay several hundred euros um, in in a, a tax if you were not working for a corporation or if you were self-employed. Do you see those sorts of things changing? Uh, are the are these things existing in in these markets? And and what are you know a few things that that entrepreneurs should keep in mind as they uh, as they take these risks? Yeah, so, so I mean, my own kind of version of the tech startup stack, if you will, um, just quickly, is first a supply of talent. Um, so can you, do you have great algorithm builders? And, and you do in Europe. I think French um, algorithm builders are fantastic. Great developers across the UK, Russia. Um, secondly, is entrepreneurship a culturally accepted phenomenon? Does your mom want you to be an entrepreneur? In the UK and Stockholm, yes. In Spain, Southern Europe, I don't know. Your mom probably still wants you to be a bureaucrat or a banker. But also the other cultural component is the acceptance of failure, where in the Valley, right, you wear it as a badge of pride. I'm on my third startup, two of them failed. 
there's actually a legal liability in some countries in Europe if you fail on you being personally responsible for bankruptcy. So of course you're not going to take the risk. That's changing. I think both the cultural norms and the legal norms, but it's still taking some time. Um, and then tied to that is actually risk-taking capital. And in Spanish, uh, venture capital is called capital de alto riesgo, high-risk capital. It is high-risk capital. So we, I would argue, need to accept that we're investing in highly, highly risky ventures, um, but actually also provide the appropriate level of funding for these companies to succeed if they can. But it's definitely changed from a cultural and, a, and an acceptance perspective. And actually, at a, even at an EU government level, entrepreneurship being seen as a driver of innovation. The UK government's been amazing at that, using um, uh, the digital economy as one of the drivers of the economic recovery. Germany just appointed their first digital minister. France has had a number of digital ministers. So it's becoming part of the agenda at the highest level. Qu quick question. Are there any particular verticals that uh, or categories that you guys are quite interested in? So I don't want to call White Star a data fund, but I, I mean, just even from my own personal background, building databases back in the 90s, I still think I'm really interested in companies that build data as a defensible asset. That might be B2B or B2C, but either a company that's building a database of consumers that has a deeper level of insight to that consumer than anybody else has, which can lead to better acquisition, engagement, resell, whatever, or a B2B company that's actually using that data to bring out some intelligence. So we did an investment in an IoT uh, predictive analytics company that uh, effectively is the back-end data science team for all these IoT companies. So B2B or B2C, I think there's a, a massive opportunity on both the amount of data being generated, smartphones, social media, sensors, but then also to turn this data into action. Machine learning, uh, no, pretty much negligible cost of storage for the data. Uh, and for us, the benefit is that we get to look across geographies and compare both teams and, and momentum for the companies to pick the right one. And I think Europe specifically does have quite a set of talent around um, uh, algorithms. So if you look at DeepMinds is now effectively the, the Google lab for AI. Facebook has just set up their second AI lab in Paris. Um, the amount of talent coming out of, of, of some of the Eastern European universities is actually pretty impressive. And by the way, it's a fraction of the cost of what you're going to find in the Valley. Yeah, absolutely. No kidding. I, uh, all I hear every day is how expensive the Valley is today and housing and, and so on. So I, I, I completely get it. Uh, what tips would you provide a, an early start, stage founder, CEO, who was perhaps you know, has a little traction working uh, on, on, on a couple different, uh, you know, let's say, ideas and wants to get focused and, and, and starts to build a team and wants to go after some, some early stage capital? What are some of the things that you would provide them in, in terms of, and this is, these are European founders, like uh, in terms of going for fundraising right now, what are some of the more important attributes that they should possess? First is, depending on which country you're in, there's a bunch of government initiatives that allow you to get access to capital for cheap, be that uh, R&D refunds in France or government matching for grants in, in Finland. Um, EIS, which is a tax regime in, in, uh, in the UK that allows angels to invest uh, with a significant tax benefit. So if you're going out for seed funding, definitely take advantage of that because that would be, I wouldn't base your business plan on it, but it's effectively, it gives you longer runway. Secondly, um, 
be a bit smarter about how who you approach and how. Um, you know, I think there's a stat recently that the average uh, VC looks at a, a deck 3.5 minutes or something like that, right? Realize that because there's a lot less supply of funding sources in Europe, the, uh, the demand for attention is a lot higher than maybe in Israel or in the Valley. So be a lot more selective about who you approach and how you approach them. Use social media, be it Twitter or blog posts or LinkedIn to actually find a warm intro into the person that you think is the right fit uh, through other entrepreneurs that you know, through, through um, angel investors that might be involved. And finally, actually, like, really like, focus on the TLDR for the pitch. In the first kind of subset of the email, tell me why based on what you've learned about me, this is actually in my flyway in terms of actually interest areas, what metrics you have that prove that you have either the right team or the right product fit, market fit, and then what you're raising. By the time I get to paragraph three, where you tell me you're raising 300K, it's probably too late. And it might come from the great literary tradition of the European education system, but a lot of the intro emails from entrepreneurs are way too long. Um, I'm more of the Anglo-Saxon, US-style bullet point, get to the point kind of guy, but... Um, and then finally, if you can be selective about how you, who you bring on board, I, I've probably seen a bit too many startups in, especially in, in the UK who've taken advantage of this EIS regime. So they've raised 500 K pounds from a bunch of Goldman Sachs bankers who are looking for tax benefits, not for value add. And that's not necessarily the best signal. Um, and other pet peeve while I'm, while I'm on the record, uh, Way too, way too many European uh, founders use advisors, whatever that means, bankers, former bankers, to raise seed in Series A, which makes no sense. Quick question. What's your opinion? Is it still possible to raise on a deck today? I mean, for a seed, depends on what you call a seed round. Uh, if it's, I, we've done pre-product companies, but it's really rock-solid technical founders. Um, but I'd like to at least touch some technology, right? What's the defensible IP? What's... The app, I mean, even if, I mean, you can mock up an app fairly easily and like guide me through features and we can have discussion about how you are going to drive engagement or stickiness. But um, yes, I, I still think you can from angels and through kind of some of the, the, seed, the seed funds for sure. But the biggest question is going to be for your next round, how quickly do you develop tangible IP? Another thing we see a lot in Europe is outsourced development teams. So a Romanian or Ukrainian team building your prototype. And that might be fine for your seed round, but it's definitely not going to pass muster for your A round. Any particular resources, events, websites, et cetera, that you would recommend to a European founder just to start uh, to, well, well, to continue to, to educate themselves around best practices, founding companies? Yeah, I think, I mean, so SeedCamp has definitely become, I'd claim, the best program in Europe, right? They, they kind of bet on Europe early on. They fly all over the place finding the best startups and bring them together. They have a great um, Rolodex of mentors for the companies. And they've bet on some of the great companies early on. So going into one of the local SeedCamp programs is, I think, a pretty good path. Um, then there's Techstars Berlin, Techstars London. There's a bunch of other accelerators. But I think they play a role in the ecosystem. They definitely helped. Um, there's actually a LinkedIn uh, list recently of VCs who blog in Europe, which is a lot less prevalent than VCs who blog in the U.S., which is pretty good. Just to actually get a flavor of what the investor community is actually thinking about, um, you know, be that signaling risk between seed and Series A, be that um, you know, SaaS momentum from the point nine guys, uh, be that my own stuff around artificial intelligence and contextual services. So that's just good insight into what the investment community is thinking about where the, where the momentum is going. Um, 
And then finally, it'd probably be the same resources that any entrepreneur in the U.S. is looking for in terms of like you know, what blogs to read, what material to follow, the Brad Feld book, which I think every, the, every single entrepreneur should read before negotiating their first term sheet. Um, so same things. Awesome. Well, Christian, thank you so much for taking the time today. Really appreciate it. Uh, our, what's your uh, Twitter handle if, if folks want to get in touch or follow your content? At Christian Hearn. And, uh, and my email is actually on my website, whitestar.vc. Perfect. And um, if anyone has some traction, some IP, and a great idea, should they reach out? <laughs> they should. If they, if they see data as a competitive advantage and they know good ways to build upon it to delight consumers or enterprises, I'd love to talk to them. Perfect. Christian, thank you so much. Christian Hernandez from White Star Capital based in New York and in London. Have a great day and uh, we'll talk soon. <laughs>